1: Sharp exchanges in the dial today as the Tonishta hits back at Sinn Fein as the eviction ban fallout continues. We hear from one renter facing eviction shortly.
2: Are you seriously suggesting that you guys in December would have allowed the rent ban to be lifted days after Christmas Day? That's the kind of dishonesty that I find reprehensible.
1: Met Aaron's head of forecasting, Evelyn Cusack, joins us shortly with an update to the weather conditions across the country tonight. Gary Lineker says he will present Match of the Day as normal on Saturday amid migrant tweet row and later. Lights, camera,
3: action, Irish stars are set to attend the Oscar Wilde party in Hollywood later. I love the fact that we're going to a green carpet. That's our first big LA event before we go to the Oscars themselves. I love the fact there'll be so many Irish people there tonight. Talking about Irish film, look at all the nominees that are from Ireland, and that ours is not only from Ireland but Oscar.
1: Taoiseach Leo Radker has said the government will not reverse the decision to lift the eviction ban, even if there is a massive increase in homelessness in the coming months. He said an extension of the moratorium would not solve the problem and instead the government would have to look to other solutions. Well, for more on this now, I'm joined by broadcaster Claire Ronan, Group Head of News at Independent.ie, Kevin Doyle, Social Democrat TD, Gary Gannon, and Fine Gael Senator John Cummins. And also via Skype this evening, Dublin renter Bruno Borges. You're all very welcome to the programme. I want to come to you first, Kevin, because you just saw a little snippet there of one of the exchanges in the dial today. There is real heat around this. The government are coming under pressure daily since this was sort of announced late on uh, Monday night. And there is no real sign of it debating anytime soon, is there?
0: No, this one has legs, Kira. to be honest, because the sequence of events now is effectively that the politicians will all go away around St Patrick's Day And things will calm down. But Sinn Féin plan to have a motion after that that is basically a motion about embarrassing the government, suggesting that the rent uh, or that the eviction ban should be extended. So backbenchers will have to come in, vote against that. Uh, It'll kick up again. And then, obviously, we'll get to the end of the month, which is when the eviction ban will actually lift. And it'll be gradually lifted. It's not like April 1st, uh, big bang. But you can be sure that once the homeless figures into April and May and probably June as well... That's the longevity the story probably has.
1: Do you think that they anticipate the backlash that they're seeing?
0: I think they were damned if they did, and they were damned if they didn't, because the 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 situation such as it is means that I think from talking to people around government, they really genuinely are worried that this would end up in the High Court and that it would be quashed and then they would be thrown into this anyway. Um, so they were trying to do it in a more orderly way. Um, did they expect the backlash? They had to care. Mm. If if they didn't, then they or are they totally out for of it, touch. Though? perhaps not prepared because they didn't have, um, I think, a good firewall in terms of measures to announce, in terms of alternatives, and I think that's the problem for them.
1: In terms of this Sinn Féin uh, motion, uh, it's a non-binding motion, mm. but it could expose some of the fault lines uh, amongst the coalition and, indeed, amongst some of the, the independents that the government relies on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've already seen a number of Green Party TDs pushing back against this, even some in Fianna Fáil, are very, particularly in, in Dublin, are, are very uncomfortable with what has happened there because they're getting it in the neck when they go to their constituencies. So there is always the potential for the government to lose one or two backbenchers for a few months over this issue They'll win the vote, though, ultimately, because there will be enough of those independent TDs to row in. So that there's no And we risk. saw that
1: last time round when there was a vote in nassau and I think Patrick Oslo and a few others didn't vote from the government. And they actually won it very comfortably.
0: Yeah, and that'll happen again, to be honest. They're not, this isn't at the scale where the government is going to collapse over it, but it, it's certainly very uncomfortable for them because they don't have the answers.
1: Um, Gary, do you accept um, what Kevin is saying there, that the government in this particular situation, they were damned if they did and damned if they didn't?
4: No, my primary concern is not actually about the government in this situation. My primary concern is going to be with the 2,700 people, many of those in my constituency who are living with the, the, the maskly sword hanging over their head of eviction, who now have no safeguards in place. So, I mean, the government didn't have to do this. There wasn't, I think most of the journalists that I was looking at were quite surprised that the government took this decision when they did. I was, I. Consider the decision quite reprehensible, but what I find more strange and more unforgivable is some of the so-called safeguards they announced have no legislation alongside them, have no dates, no budgets. They are telling people now that don't worry if you get an eviction notice, you will have the first right of refusal. That's insulting to a family in Dublin, for example, who lived under a cost of living crisis, who extreme rents. They're not going to be able to afford that. It's laughable. But then they say, well, hang on, an AHB will be able to step in there and they'll be able the to torture for you. Talk to AHB and I rang around someone up today. They have no information at all on this. They made this announcement, absolutely no safeguards. And I have nothing that I can now tell my constituents when they come to me asking questions. Where will they go? Did they go to a police station, such as what Dublin City Council said to them? This is, this is an emergency.
1: Uh, Bruno, you're one of the people who received an eviction uh, notice in December. You were obviously uh, protected because of the ban. But now you're out of your rental property um, later in the year. How are you feeling about that?
5: Um, It's a mix of desperation and disappointment because we just moved... Uh, eight months ago, and we were just settling in when we got the termination uh, letter. We just got married in March of 22, and we were living in a separate accommodation for a while. And after... Three months looking, I think, we found this nice apartment in Whitehall with a rent that was almost too good to be true.
1: Um, one of the things uh, that's been offered, sorry, from Bruno, is, you know, the potential that you'll be given first refusal when your property, when your apartment is put up for sale. Would you be and your partner be in a position to buy the property? Is that going to be any use to you?
5: No, because uh, I was put into a Part 4 contract, uh, which before six months they don't need to give any valid reason to terminate the lease. So with five months and three weeks, they sent the letter on Christmas week, basically.
1: And how confident are you about going out there and finding somewhere new to live?
5: uh it gets worse every day every year uh, it's my fifth year in in dublin and i've lived in five places so it's almost one place a year and each year it gets worse and this time uh the level of extortion is even worse it's almost a thousand uh for a bedroom and Okay. It doesn't matter how much you earn, it's it's really high, too high for anyone.
1: OK, let me just put this back to uh, the panel here, um, to John. Desperation, disappointment, it's getting worse every year. Bruno, I know, uh, works full-time, has a good job, isn't on HAP, uh, isn't you know um, going to be entitled to any social housing, so he's just out there looking mm. for a house. Where does he go?
6: Look, the first thing I would say is that, you know, I understand that there's very many people out there that think that the government have made the wrong decision in relation uh, to this issue but there was a very real concern that if we extended this temporary uh, moratorium uh, further uh, into the year that it would cause even more private uh, properties that are in the rental market uh, to be lost and I think the last thing we need in an already uh, constrained rental market is to lose any further properties but I understand The biggest
1: contributor do you think to that sort of um, rental properties leaving the market the eviction ban?
6: No, I understand the concern that's out there, Kira. Like, I, I, I meet with constituents, as I'm sure Gary does, every single day of the week in my office in, in Watford City and Dunbar. And what Garvin. are you saying and, to them? And, and, and housing is the biggest issue uh, that that undoubtedly that we deal with. Um, but, you know, we have put it... I think, you know, the perception there is that we haven't used the time over the last uh, six months to implement a number of measures. We actually have. We've we've built 30,000 homes over the last 12 months. We've brought five, 1,500 uh, okay, voids okay, back we, into we've use. We've heard all of this, but I think I To think be fair, I, th- I think it is important, though, to outline the measures that have been implemented over the last six months, okay. because yeah, it has been thrown out in, there also, that we um, haven't been doing anything.
1: He, he also outlined these sort of new schemes, new protections, potential further breaks for landlords, but it was all very vague. Gary?
4: Extraordinary vague. And here's one of the things they didn't do. They didn't so... Essentially, on Tuesday, three people went into a room. We happened to be Leo Vratker, Michael Martin, and Eamon Ryan. And they came to this decision. Almost, it doesn't seem to have relied on any. There's no modelling. We've got no modelling. We have no um, data that demonstrates to us, here's how many people will be homeless in a month, in two months, in three months. We've got none of that. They say to us there's a fear that landlords might exit the market. There's no evidence behind that in terms okay. of what they presented Sorry. to us. So we... So okay, landlords, no, I, I, I but think but it's but actually
1: without question that landlords so are leaving the market. But let me,
4: but let me, let me not clarify not that point. Can I clarify question, that point very. completely? this has been going on for six years now where landlords have been exited the market. It's not a consequence of the eviction ban. There's a multitude of different reasons. Landlords have found themselves in negative, negative equity, had the opportunity to sell their home and take themselves out of there. Of course, we can provide more support to landlords. We can resource the RTB, for example. But in this emergency position, in this emergency position we're in now, 2,700 people are going to okay. find themselves well, in well, a can homeless I just ask, conditions. What, what
1: would the Social Democrats do right now to keep landlords in the market?
4: Well, in the minute, of on trying to keep people in their home like I appreciate let's not not joke is that
1: there's not going to be rental properties you know in the next couple of years if landlords continue to leave and so I'm asking what would the social democrats do to keep
4: landlords I think at this point there is is absolutely an argument for tax breaks for example for longer term leases I think there's an argument made well, well there but in this particular instance, my big fear is we cannot play landlords against people who are going to be homeless. That's the wrong argument we have. This is an emergency so we need to respond okay, on those Tom? terms, keeping like, people in their homes. Governments by their
6: nature have to look in months and years. They can't always take the you know populist mm-hmm. position of, of looking at the short term popular measures. The reality is that any time you inter- interact uh, and interfere in a market, it, it, it does have consequences. I know Gary's uh, party is in favour mm-hmm. of a three-year rent freeze, which sounds fantastic in theory, okay. but what did it result in in Berlin? It resulted in a 50% re- re- reduction in
7: rental stock. And that's not but, but, but that's actually think, just a I don't fact. think that's any consolation to somebody who's sitting at home now facing eviction. I, um, and I spoke to some of the local politicians in the northwest today, and they are genuinely upset. And you can hear the politicians when they're being interviewed. They're genuinely upset about their constituents. Absolutely. This isn't a situation where, oh, you, might, you know, you can do this or that. There's no, as you said, there are no instructions. No. Uh, people are going to lose their homes and they might have to move in with other family members. And it's just as bad, bad by the way, in rural Ireland as it is in the city. Mm. We don't have emergency co- um, accommodation. We've very little left. And there are no rental properties,
1: very few. It's very serious. It is very serious. And what was, I think, particularly stark, Kevin Doyle, um, it's a question I think I've asked here a number of times when we've had you know very rep- various representatives in from government. At what point is the market going to normalise? How many houses do we need for the market to normalise? And you could never, ever get an answer... But I think Leo Varadkar suggested a figure, didn't he, yesterday to his parliamentary party? A
0: a quarter of a million, uh, he said, at the parliamentary party meeting, so with with Fine Gael TDs. John, you were probably there. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, I mean, a quarter of a million, if we built 30,000 last year, even if we make 35,000 next year, that's seven, eight years to get to that point. And, John, I I, I know you're trying to put up the good fight, uh, but it's, one of the things you said there is that government can't work in short term, they have to look at months and years. I remember so well, and I think this is forgotten, Mm Back in 2016, Simon Coveney launched Rebuilding Ireland and it had five pillars and it was all the talk at the time. That was eight years ago. Homelessness, social housing build more homes, fix the rental sector and use existing housing stock. They were the five pillars and I think all of those
6: But sorry I I do have to respond to that. So if we look at some of the measures that were implemented uh, in rebuilding Ireland, one of those measures was the repair and lease scheme. I accept that that hasn't uh, been successful in many counties but one of the areas that it has been exceptionally successful is in my own county in Waterford. 50% of all repair and lease units in the country have been delivered in Watford. What has that done? It's taken vacant and derelict properties, primarily in city centre locations, and delivered one and two bed properties, which has actually resulted in Watford City and County Council not needing to need... What it has delivered over three hundred uh, units in Waterford, but what it has no, primarily done, Kira, is it has meant that Waterford City and County Council okay. hasn't needed which, to which use is, B&B which is which is uh, and hotel accommodation over the last three years. But the point that's made, a very positive.
1: thing. But the point made by Leo Radker, when you say three hundred houses, that's well and good. Two hundred and fifty thousand houses is what he's saying. The shortfall is, and this government mm. and Finnegale have been talking about rebuilding Ireland. And, four, four and, and five, I, six, seven, eight. I think
6: we do have to say that in 2013, we were building in this uh, country less than 5,000 homes. We've managed and to no, get to... We've 2020, mani- 2020, it is. Three, and we've mani- we have managed. and and, and, to and, and whether Gary's party or anyone else's party is in government, we would still have the constraints on, on, on the market that are there. That's not that your party, Charles. We have managed to get to
4: 30,000 homes. Your Your party chose to rely on the private sector, to have, rather than intervene and build social and affordable but, housing. I remember that the interview. The and so I mean, number of social housing okay. was the delivered this is, year. Last last year. Sorry, some, I just want
1: to ask just one other point, because the Tawnist did say today that everybody agrees, every politician agrees, that this eviction ban needed to be temporary. Nobody was saying it needed to be a temporary or a permanent thing. Do you agree it needed to be temporary, and when would you have
4: lifted it. I would have, I would have lifted it at a time when I wasn't in an emergency situation at the moment. But what does so that also, mean? What does that actually mean, US. Gary Gannon? Like that? Yes, yeah, possibly if necessary. But if necessary, Actually, John, let the you, vote, you, vote, like, you, you voted in favour
6: point. of the legislation back in October. Of course, I did. But, so but that answer, was to
4: ease can, and to, sorry, John, to ease the it question from March
6: right through to June.
4: Yes, you voted with for the that. extension of extending it if necessary. W- that wasn't in of the course, legislation. Of course, that was the understanding. But we voted because we're in a crisis. Are you telling us that we're out of the crisis? So how long? Is just it, to
1: be clear, how long would you have left the eviction ban in
4: place? I would have left the eviction ban in place for as long as it's necessary, and I'm not going to come back away from that. We have a situation in this country where people are at risk. Very much so. We're going to have a tsunami of homelessness. I would not have lifted it under these conditions or anywhere close to it.
1: Okay, Claire Ronan. Well,
7: one thing that I do think needs to be mentioned and was mentioned to me today and I was thinking about it afterwards, the council workers who are trying to find home for people are under dreadful pressure. And it must be a very difficult situation. But exactly as we've all said, um, I think we're facing into a very serious situation where people will be live, sleeping in their cars, children not being able to attend school. This is going to get worse. I think this could be very, very serious. It could be
4: very serious. And I suppose the Taoiseach made the comment today that nobody has a monopoly on morality, as he said today. Nobody thinks that way. But we would have made very different decisions. It was in 2016, and Simon Coveney said that there'll be nobody, there'll be no homeless people in hotels within six months. Look where we are now: 12,700 people. You've had 11 years in government, but, and you failed. Yeah. And now we're seeing the consequences but, of that in real people's lives. But but
6: but you believe that we can only deliver housing mm. via one mechanism? Well, we have to use okay. all levers okay. of the
0: state, Kevin, and we have stands. to use the private sector also.
1: Leo Varadkar digging in deep today. They're not reversing their decision, are they? I don't, I don't
0: see any way they're going to reverse the decision because they'll. Ha- if anything, that Sinn Féin motion probably means they definitely won't now because they'll have to stick by it.
1: All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, we're going to take a quick break. My thanks to Gary and John. Kevin and Claire will be staying with me. After the break, we'll get an update on the weather and we'll be discussing why Gary Lineker is to avoid, it appears, a BBC suspension. You're very welcome back. Well, several counties are set for an evening of heavy snowfall as a band of wintry weather moves slowly across the country. For the very latest on this, I'm joined by Head of Forecasting at Met, Erin Evelyn Cusack. Evelyn, thank you for taking the time to speak to us. I know it'll be a busy evening for you. So which counties are worse affected uh, at this point and what kind of weather conditions are they experiencing?
8: Hi Kira. welcome to the Central Analysis and Forecast Office here There's a real wintry mix right across the country, we have uh, winds like up to force in parts of Cork actually, we have a small storm depression off the south coast of Ireland so some strong winds in southern and eastern areas with heavy rain in the east we have heavy snow around as well the snow uh, has died away from some western parts and frost is setting in, so what's going to happen during the night is the very strong winds are going to die down the snow and rain and hail is going to clear away eastwards into the Irish Sea so by tomorrow morning we it will be more or less dry there will be lying snow and that will be freezing with sub-zero temperatures everywhere so likely to be a lot of ice around tomorrow morning here now obviously the main roads will be gritted, etc but certainly the secondary roads and some footpaths will be quite uh, treacherous actually in places because after all of today's precipitation and indeed with freezing, lying snow, you know, it's a real wintry uh, picture tomorrow morning.
1: Yeah, the driving conditions, and I know we weren't that badly affected in Dublin, but they were really treacherous today. Visibility in particular was so poor. Will that have improved by tomorrow morning?
8: Yeah, even though it was rain, the visibility was very poor because the wind was coming in off the sea and very heavy rain, up to uh, 35 millimetres of rain. So that's all the precipitation will be clearing quickly away overnight and in the morning. So we'll be left with sunshine, actually, but really the theme in the morning will be the
1: ice. OK, so a warning to motors out there, be be very, very careful. What is the outlook then for the weekend, Evelyn? Has the worst passed?
8: Well, more or less, uh, really the worst is at the moment, as I speak, because you have the combination of high winds, snow, and then ice in the morning. But it's not going to be a nice weekend. It's going to be uh, pretty miserable for a lot of the country, i should be sorry to say. So Saturday, some more rain, hail, rain, sleet, and snow. On Sunday, looking at the brighter side, it, there will be some rain, but it will be getting milder. Temperatures 12, 13 degrees on Sunday. And this hurls uh, mild weather for next week. As an Atlantic regime takes over, we're going to lose the Arctic conditions. So we're back into our more normal, if you like, Atlantic westerlies. And that will bring some sunshine, but also some wet and windy and perhaps even some stormy weather at times. So we really are in quite an unsettled spell of weather, I'm afraid.
1: All right. Thank you for that update. Appreciate it as always, Evelyn. Well, in other breaking news tonight, several people have been reported to have been killed in a shooting in Hamburg in Germany. Uh, Kevin Doyle, this is literally now just breaking in the last couple of minutes. Um, What can you tell us?
0: Well, insofar as we know, German police have a large scale operation in Hamburg City. There seems to have been uh, a number of gunmen attacked a church that's used by Jehovah's Witnesses uh, in the last couple of hours. Several people are thought to be dead and the killers are still on the loose so residents in the area have been asked to stay in their homes Um, but all developing, so we don't actually know how many have been killed yet, but it does seem like a a very serious incident, yeah.
1: All right, we will keep you updated uh, as uh, the news breaks um, throughout the programme. Now, we are joined on the panel by broadcaster Lisa Cannon. You are very welcome to the programme as we look at the um, stories and the topics that got us all talking this week. Uh, Kevin, I want to start with the Gary Lineker tweet and the immigration uh, row that has unfolded uh, in the UK uh, for the last couple of days. Just perhaps give us a little bit of of background um, to the the tweet that he sent and who he was responding
2: to.
0: Yeah, I suppose context is everything in this Mm. debate and there isn't a huge amount of it in the English press or more likely in English politics at the moment. So obviously Gary Lineker presents Match of the Day. Brilliant English footballer. It hurts me to say that, but he was a brilliant (laughs) English footballer. Um, And... Um, he, Suella Braveman, who's the Home Secretary, they're trying to bring in legislation which is all based around the rhetoric of stop the small boats coming, stop the migrants coming in. Now, there is this perception in English politics that they have a massive migration problem. Actually, it's in EU terms, and I know they're not in the EU, they're way below EU average. They actually have about 45,000 migrants came last year for a population of, of 70 million or whatever it is. So so she put out this video, didn't she? She put out a video on her own
1: Twitter from the Home Office.
0: Yeah, basically promoting the idea that we're going to stop them. And it's quite heartless. Let's be honest. I think I'm allowed to say that without being too uh, impartiality rules. And he basically tweeted comparing the language being used around this to what went on in Nazi Germany. Um, And...
1: Because I think what was proposed, uh, she said, was that people who would arrive illegally, as they would say, on these small boats into the UK, that literally they would be given no opportunity to stay, no, no consideration whether they were to receive asylum or not. They would be returned to their own country or another or safe country. Or central Rwanda. Or yeah. Central Rwanda. And, and the,
0: the legislation they're actually putting forward may not even be legal under international law. And we, The UK government has a bit of a history in that. So I think... A lot of people have focused on the video, a lot of people obviously commenting on Gary Lineker, but this debate has been going on for some time and Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, has used language like an invasion of migrants. She's talked about millions and millions of them coming. The figures don't stack that up and I think that's what it all bundles up into this debate.
1: Okay, but it's Gary Lineker, I think, who's really brought this debate to the fore again, Lisa. And he is a huge star for the BBC, a well-loved, well-respected,
2: well-paid TV presenter. Well-paid, £1.5 has been, as Kevin said, doing Match of the Day since 1999. I've interviewed Gary and he's very forthright in how he speaks. I mean, he's a brilliant broadcaster and presenter, but I suppose this has got him in hot water. And uh, I suppose being the BBC having to be impartial and there is a impartiality agreement there with the BBC. It's functioning as an operational body. They have to speak about that. They have to address that with him. And I think the talks are moving forward, Kevin, I think, according yeah. to you. Yeah,
1: I, I think there was some calls that he should be sacked, that he yes. obviously breached this impartiality rule. But I think, you know, there's technicalities that might just apply to new staff and reporters and he's not actually staff and he's a, he's a journalist. But it appears that they are going to back
2: him, aren't they? They are. That's that's what the feedback has been. But I think, you know, Gary, as I said to you before, always says what he feels. And I think a tweet like this, something especially when it comes to immigration, has just changed the narrative slightly. And I think that for him, that's dangerous. It
0: also suits the British government for everybody to yeah. be talking about this, rather than the actual policy. And they okay. need to,
2: and they need somebody to discuss that. Yeah.
1: Uh, Claire, I just wonder what he initially said was, good heavens, this is beyond awful. This was in response to the Home Secretary's clip. And then he double down in it again. He said it was an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. I'll continue to try and speak up for the poor souls that have no voice. Now she has since coming out and said that she felt the reference to um, Nazi Germany was really inappropriate and hurtful to her and her family. What do you make of that?
7: Well, she, her husband I think is German as well, so she probably took offence at that, but when you watch the video, it's uncomfortable viewing. I mean, she does say in it how they're spending £7 million a day keeping hotels for... Uh, basically, what she is saying is their country is full. And if you arrive illegally... And asylum seekers are running from their own country for various different reasons, some of which are tragic, and they, don't, they can't go back. You are either going to be sent back to your own country or to Rwanda and the british government have already paid 120 million to to Rwanda to take these people um, and now of course it's all going through the courts but um i think he used his position to get his point across which you can agree with or not agree with but he has everybody talking and he opened the world cup with a speech criticizing the host country so the bbc seemed to be backing him and may not have been surprised
1: Yeah, it was interesting because I know Emily Maitlis, the former Newsnight presenter, said in her own podcast today that it's strange that people were very comfortable with him criticising the human rights failures in Qatar, but seemed to be very uncomfortable with him exposing the UK's attitude to immigration.
7: Mm, I thought that was very interesting as well. Um, But I think, you know, I think he's actually brought up a very, very important topic. You know, like, there were 75 people drowned only about two weeks ago off the coast of Italy. Mm-hmm. They had got a 1,000 kilometres and three or 30 kilometres from where they were going, they were drowned. You know, it needs to um, be addressed. And I think he brought it up and I think he... Did, I, I agree but with But he
1: hasn't said. been cancelled and I think a lot of people won't thought that He no, won't be like, cancelled. No, he won't be cancelled. He won't be cancelled. Absolutely not. No. It has, as you said... Um, Kevin, it has really exposed once again, and it shouldn't surprise us given how big immigration featured in the Brexit debate in the UK, but it has exposed how divisive a topic it is in the UK at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it, and there is this debate about right versus left and, and the Tory government have made many attempts to solve this and the Labour Party have kind of sat on their hands and let them fail every time rather than coming up with their own solutions on this too. And even the DUP Gregory Cam- Campbell rowing in on this, calling Lineker lefty Lineker. Mm. And it's it's all, like, the debate is just so low. It's such a low base.
1: Yeah, there's um, absolutely zero compassion. No, no it, it's not debates. human
0: at all. We've had these debates here and we have our own problems, but the way they speak about these people, in, in, as in asylum seekers in the UK, is, is just as if they're not human at all.
1: OK, I just want to move on to uh, a story that has... I think capture the public's imagination here in, in Ireland. Um, you know, you can look on any website like your own, Kevin, on the Independent.ie, or indeed in IrishTimes.ie, and if it's a story involving the Burke family, <clears throat> it's along on the, the list of the most read. Um, but I think a lot of people have really lost all sense of, of where this particular—I don't even know what to call it—at this stage, controversy is is at. We had quite exceptional scenes at the court this week, Claire.
7: Mm. I think a lot of people have become impatient. Um, I think if I had a court case and was waiting for it to be heard and it was all delayed because of um, uh, some sort of a scuffle that took place, I would not be happy. At the end of the day, we're paying for all the court time, we're paying for the guards, the taxpayer is is footing this bill. But Everybody has a right
1: of access to the courts, don't they?
7: Yes, but... They should have respect for, for the courts. And there was no respect shown yesterday from what I can gather. Um, I think people are... I heard two people actually talking in a coffee shop and they were talking about it and one said to the other, do you remember what it's all about? And the other lady said, no, I haven't a clue. So, you know, it, it, it's, they need to have respect for our judicial system. And uh, I also think at the centre of all of this, there is a child... And that should not be forgotten. And this man is still
1: standing outside the school, and um, that must be very difficult for the children. Yeah, just just to remind people why he was in court on that day, Kevin. This was his own action, his own appeal.
0: Yeah. So I suppose it goes back to the original idea where the school—he was effectively sacked by the school. He has taken a case against the school, but as he kept showing up, there was injunctions put in place. So this was his appeal, um, basically, to get those injunctions lifted to say they were wrong the judge who decided he should go to the school. But there's a separate case that still has to come. There's multiple days left in this, so he can mm. take that one to the Supreme Court still. There are multiple days left in this in terms of him versus the school, have affidavits put forward now in terms of how they have handled the, the case. Um, and so it's going back to court several times over. And I know... And we
1: don't seem to be any closer to a resolution here, no. do we? No, because
0: he doesn't accept... The, the rulings. I mean that's quite clear from what happened and what was stated in court the other day. And I, I know some people are looking at this as a soap opera and I've you know we we've got the the emails in from people saying just ignore him and he'll go away. And that's not actually the case because there's a really fundamental legal issue at play here, which is that a judge sent him to jail for over a hundred days, um, he has conti- he was released because the judge basically said he was using that to his own advantage. He's now racking up fines of seven hundred euro a day every shows up at school. Nothing is stopping him from ignoring the court's injunctions, and that's a real problem for the civil courts.
1: Yeah, it's also interesting what Judge Birmingham was saying uh, in the courts that he was concerned whether or not some of what was happening and some of the um, arguments that were being played out in court an exercise in creating sound bites so you can see why people are coming to you and saying can we just stop covering this perhaps oh
0: totally i absolutely get it but there is it's it isn't actually just because people are doing memes and think it's hilarious in some instances there's actually a really serious legal thing happening here playing out, and it just happens yeah. that it is a bit of a soap opera in its own way as well.
1: Yeah, the courts are a bit of at a bit of a loss, aren't yeah, they? At this, basically. Point? Okay. Um, sort of related to that, I think um, uh, Lisa, were comments made by Michael D. Higgins um, this week, off the back of um, a debate over the new primary school curriculum and what should be taught. He said that schools should be sort of obliged to teach about sexuality in, in the fullest way possible. What did you make of his comments?
2: Yeah, because conventionally, of course, um, Michael D doesn't talk about anything as such. But actually... But he's He's meant meant to. (laughs) He's (laughs) meant to. Conventionally, the (laughs) president doesn't. Conventionally, the (laughs) president 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 doesn't. Whether Michael (laughs) D doesn't do another thing. Absolutely. I I really thought it was forward-thinking. I thought it was, uh, you know, something that I, I think we needed to hear. Because, you know, I think for children as well, being exposed to things they don't understand, especially when it comes to sexuality. I think that it has to be in the forthright there that that they do get exposed to that. Um, I feel as well that, you know, obviously parents still have to continue to monitor children and what they, they see and what they hear. But I thought his comments were interesting. I think, it, you know, something like that has to be challenged. And the fact that he did address it, I think, has opened the debate here and yeah, across mean, the water too.
1: <laughs> What the teacher did say, I think, was teaching children about the real world and transgender people exist in the real world. That's what what schooling is all about. But at the same time, they are recognising that parents may be more comfortable and it is a parental choice if they want to remove their child from a classroom while, um, you know, there's a lesson given on transgender. What do you make of that?
7: Well, I mean, you know, um, historically, um, uh, the children got um, uh, the the sex educational talk in sixth Mm. class when they are about 12. Now, most of them would have heard from their friends and there would have been a bit of giggling and all of that. And I remember at the time, um, we did get a form home to say if if you don't want your children to attend this class, then you can tick it for them not to attend. Uh, In this case, I think... um, The children need to be aware of everything. And I actually heard a girl being interviewed um, and she said that she wished she had been told about this when she was in school because she might have had an idea of what she was going through because she had no name for how she felt at 12 years of age. Um, And the family is changing. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of these things are being talked about much more openly than when we were teenagers. And I think that's good. Mm
1: -hmm. They're changing the curriculum. I think the children, and in a gentle way you know, in a very gentle way. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there. Lots more uh, after this break, including the Irish hitting Hollywood for Oscars weekend. Do you see You're very welcome back. Well, the Irish takeover of Hollywood continues this evening with the traditional Oscar Wilde party. The annual event celebrates the Irish-American film industry. There are a total of 14 Irish nominations, a record number at this year's Oscars, and a number of the stars will be attending the event. Well, Virgin Media News correspondent Zara King, who is there for us at the moment, caught up with the Irish actress Carrie Crowley a little earlier.
3: Well, it's a big night for Ireland on the green carpet tonight at the Oscar Wilde Awards. And I'm joined now by Carrie Crowley from On Colleen Kuhn. Carrie, the movie is going to be honoured at the Oscar Wilde tonight. Are you excited about it? I am so excited about it. I love the fact that we're going to a green carpet. That's our first big LA event before we go to the Oscars themselves. I love the fact there'll be so many Irish people there tonight talking about Irish film. Look at all the nominees that are from Ireland. And that ours is not only from Ireland, but Oscar Like, that's extraordinary. It really is quite a big deal, isn't it? Because I think we can be with Blase. Oh, we have 14 nominations. But on a big stage like this, that is quite significant. Well, even when you look at, say, the single, like the male, the leading male actors, 50% of them are Irish. Hello! And then the same in the supporting male, that there are two Irish men in there. Look at Kerry Condon, like, who won the BAFTAs. We're just really kind of punching above our weight in a lot of ways. And I know we're up against the behemoth that is all quiet. And then, like, close. there are films that are really strong contenders in our category. So have we a chance? I don't really know. But we're there. Like, that's so amazing. And Colin keen has been released in the States, is that right? Yes, it has. And it was amazing. We were over for the red carpet in New York and that was fabulous. Uh, and Americans are so positive like in Ireland we kind of say oh listen I loved your film it was very good and in America they just oh my god your film and they 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 are genuine about it but they're just they really enthuse in a way that we probably don't because we're a bit more self-effacing about everything in life. I have to ask you're wearing an Irish designer Deb Reveal for the Oscars we know that what will you wear tonight for the Oscar Wilde? Uh, For the Oscar Wilde, I'm wearing another Irish company and they are called Tweed Project and they're on the Aran Islands. And I've worked with Trina Lillis, who's a costume designer on a lot of films. So she was the costume designer on Smother, which is on screen at the moment and people have been watching it. And her company made, it's a tweed dress that I'm wearing and I love it. And for the Oscar Wilds, I think, yeah, and it's an outdoor event. And then for the Oscars, I'm wearing Deborah Ville again and Seamus Gill again. And it's like, yeah, I'm a little team, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We all have our little teams around us. A
2: little dream team. Well, listen,
3: enjoy the event tonight and best of luck at the Oscars. We're really excited Uh, for you. Thank you so much. Up the day
2: show. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Thank you, Carrie. So the Oscar Wilde event will take place tonight. It kicks off at six o'clock here in LA.
1: Thanks to Zara King, Claire, uh, Kevin and Lisa are with me. And thanks to Carrie Crowley for getting us all just a little bit excited <laughs> because it's <laughs> infectious
2: how she feels, isn't it? I loved it. She's so self-deprecating. It's like I would be or you, would any of us would be there going, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here. I mean, she's there. The Oscar Wall Party is about to kick off. I've done it several years. It's brilliant and I think this year it's just going to be so incredibly different because the Irish really are going to pound that grieving carpet tonight and pound the pavement with 14 nominations but the great thing about that party that Zara's at is that it's quite lawless. There's no barriers, you can just get in among the stars. (laughs) An Uh, Irish party, uh, lawless in LA, I don't believe it. Yeah and I think even who's on the tip sheet tonight they have, um, obviously they're honouring Jesse Buckley, Um, they obviously are honouring Kerry Condon of course who's Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actress nominee. And you have Eve Hewson, who's been in Bad Sisters as well. But I have a funny feeling, I know Paul Meskel is due to turn up, but I think you could see Colin and Brendan and Barry turning up as well they're there now them.
1: first first name basis they're there them. now And um, <laughs> they have to turn up
2: so you never know well let's watch the papers in the morning and see um, just remind people I don't expect you to go
1: through all 14 nominations but bring us through some of the major ones
2: some of the major ones well I suppose unless you've been living under a rock you know everyone being so proud of this in your face Irish nominations there's so many we have a record 14 so something like this hasn't been seen since the 1990s or nineteen ninety. With My Left Foot with Jim Sheridan. So here we have Best Actor Colin Farrell, The Banshees of Inisherin*. We have Paul Meskel for Best Actor also. So taking 50% of that Best Actor category, which is phenomenal. It's also up for Best Picture, which is wonderful. Best Director, we have Martin McDonough for The Banshees. And Best Film Editing, The Banshees. Best Film Editing, we have Jonathan Redmond for Elvis, the Elvis movie. And Best International Feature Film, The Quiet Girl. Best live action short film *An Irish Goodbye. Best original score, The Banshees. Original screenplay, The Banshees. And, and of best course, supporting Best Supporting actor. actor. I know you're going to cut me off here, but we have Barry Keoghan, Brendan Gleeson. playing. Kerry <laughs> Condon. Thank you. Just one more. And Richard Benham for Avatar. So, you know, I think I mean, it took me ages just to even get through that. It's phenomenal. Uh, and
1: look, I don't. As Carrie Crowley said, being there for her is is enough incredible to be nominated. What are our chances of winning? Do you think?
2: Well, the thing is, it's funny when you look at the reviewers, and some critics critics can be quite harsh. Even though we have such a massive volume of, of who's represent, representing Ireland there, I think our odds are quite low. And I hate to say that because I think, you know, and and then people going to go, no, no. But the Oscars are weird, you know. Mm-hmm. You think we're on batting on one side and then we could come away with two we could come away with four we could come away with nothing i don't think so i think we'll probably i'm going to hedge my bets and say two and the two are i would say best original screenplay and then i really hope barry gets best supporting actor but i'm not quite sure i think think a lot of us have. i'd say we'll probably get for him yeah live action short please why
1: do you think we still get so excited about the
7: oscars claire Oh, it's the glamour of the whole thing. But I mean, this is amazing. And in fairness, um, this could bring more business to Ireland. Absolutely. We could, we, we, Catherine Martin is going over. So hopefully we'll get more movies being made here. So it's, actually it is going to be of
1: value to the Irish be film very industry. Much,
7: like we have the most beautiful scenery in the world. Why wouldn't you film your movie here? I hope there's an open-top bus going up O'Connell Street, and then we'd be all out waving our our green, white, and gold flags. But it's like you never know. It's yeah. wonderful.
2: Yeah, it's, it's like little... the Olympics. It's our Olympics of film. You know, it's fantastic. It,
1: it was interesting today. I was listening on the radio to um, people speaking about um, what the Inish, the Banshees of Inishere has done for the island that it was filmed on. What it has done for tourism. So we have the benefit to the film industry, but we've. The benefit because it has just shown Ireland at its very best. Oh, the absolutely! Beauty of
7: this country. It's absolutely. I totally agree with you. And also the quiet girl for the Irish language. There's 170,000 people speak Irish in Ireland. Mm. But now people are. It's such a beautiful musical language. I think they've they've really. Uh, sexed-up Irish now, this movie, and people will want to know more about the language.
1: Yeah, I think there was some research uh, recently which said, you know, more Americans are actually learning the Irish language and doing it perhaps more enthusiastically than a lot of Irish people. So it brings the Irish language to that audience. Which would be
7: just fantastic. In fact, you know, I even was listening to it myself, and you can understand it, but I wish I could speak it better, you know. So maybe it'll get a
1: whole new revolution. I hope it wins. I really do. Uh, One of the... Oh, Kevin... Kevin's saying, no, my Irish is perfect. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no,
0: I'm not even going to try a Paul Mescal on that. You're not... I, I don't want to go viral on course. Twitter trying to speak Irish.
1: Um, most of, of the films that are nominated, you know, have funding from Channel 4, have funding from Disney. But one of the wonderful things I do think about on Colleen Cohen is that it was totally funded here in Ireland, totally shot in Ireland with an Irish cast. It really is... Irish. Irish. Yeah. yeah,
0: it is. It's,
1: Nobody uh, can claim it. Nobody no. can take ownership.
0: No, Tasha <laughs> <laughs> Gahintuk. Um, well done. It's the closest i get to. Well done. But it well done. is. Uh,
1: yeah, like it's, it's,
0: it's funny. We're kind of giddy about it in the same way you get giddy for a rugby match or, or a big soccer match because I think the whole country is rooting for them. And, and you know, Brendan Deeson, Colin Farrell, Barry Cohen, um, Kelly Connor, they're all seen as nice people that we like. So, we, you know, the way we have this Irish thing of cutting people down if they get too big for their boots over there in Hollywood? This doesn't have that vibe at all. Everybody seems to like the people that are up there, and if you look at Carrie Crowley. Like, how could you not? Um, it's 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 like your mother or your sister on the red carpet. The way she was talking there with her excitement. So it's it's a good buzz, but I, I'm worried from what Lisa says, that the tide has gone out a little bit. I think after the Golden Globes, everybody thought, wow, this is we're going to get everything. They haven't won a whole lot since.
2: But you never know. You know, here we had Barry Cone winning a BAFTA, which was phenomenal. That was not unexpected. And Kerry as well, winning her BAFTA. I mean, I'm only saying what what's been, you know, out there in the ether. I'm not saying that's what I want. What I want everybody to win same? every single one that's on this sheet here. But... I feel it's hard to know. I think it's it's measured as well. And the Oscars have to have a lot of payback. You know, Brendan Fraser with The Whale has had an exceptionally wonderful career that has had ebbs and flows, and now coming back with an amazing movie, um, he might be honored. Then there's also, sadly, the passing of Lisa Marie Presley uh, right before um, Best Actor Award of Austin for Elvis. So it's hard to know. I'd love to see Colin win. He's put so much hard work in 50 movies over an expansive 30-year career or more. Yeah, and Wouldn't it be wonderful to him him see We only talk about four or five <laughs> of them, though we kind of forget about 40 of them. But I think, you know, I think it remains to be seen as Sunday could go either way. But it's wonderful for Irish film. Yeah. Look at us talking what, about it.
1: What do you think, Kevin, has led to this point? Because it is exceptional to have 14 nominations. I mean, it, this didn't happen overnight for the film industry here in Ireland.
0: No, I could be cheeky and say tax breaks. Mm. Um, If I was really cynical about it, there there has always been this attraction to try and get the film industry to come here and work. But actually having... When you read a lot of the interviews and a lot of the people who are involved in these, the Martin that they do talk a lot about the crew and the setup that there is in Ireland in terms of the people who are actually here and willing to work on these type of projects and to make them work. And when you hear the people... And the training,
1: perhaps, that they have received and the support that they've received maybe from the industry too.
0: And then you hear the people of Ackle Island who have been on lots of, of TV and radio stations over the last few weeks... And you hear about the fun they had when their island was taken over. And you might not get that everywhere. So I think there is that that little bit of, we love a bit of glamour, a bit of fame. But we do still kind of like, let them get on with their work. Now they we're are We're cool here to about work. it. Yeah, we're cool we're about we're it. Cool That's about exactly it. Basically. it.
1: Yeah. Will we all stay up on Sunday night to watch it? Yes. God No? No? Yes,
7: I do
2: music. traditionally every year. Yeah, well, I'm
1: absolutely. doing for the first time, so I'll.
7: I'll join you. I'll, I'll be texting, texting you. <laughs> I'll be
2: texting you make oh, sure you have your gown on, glass of don't, don't, don't
0: put me in the WhatsApp group. <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll get Full black tie morning.
1: here on Monday night if we take home 14 Oscars. Well, thank you to my panel and to you at home. Uh, our program is available as a podcast on all major platforms, and you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight. The MTV. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care, and good luck to all of those at the Oscars and Sunday. Night.